I'm Brian Carpenter, host of Fresh Air at Five, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My Ad Tech Life. Thank you so much to all of you that are joining us this 4th of July. That's right. It is 4th of July. It is a beautiful Monday here in Texas. It's very sunny, and hopefully anywhere in the world that you are, you are having an excellent and wonderful either start to your day, finish to your day, or maybe some of you are already in the future and you're already a day ahead. Whatever the case may be, thank you so much for making my EdTech life what it is today. We really appreciate all of your support. Thank you so much for all the love this week. Thank you so much to all our new followers. We really appreciate you. Make sure that you go to our website, myedtech.life, and check out all the previous episodes as well. Make sure you go to our YouTube channel and hit that subscribe button. And share our videos. You're definitely going to be helping us out by sharing all the knowledge that our wonderful guests bring in week after week. So thank you so much as always. And I am so excited because today I have whom I like to consider a very special friend. And he has impacted me way more than he thinks. And this is the first time he's hearing this, but he has definitely made an impact on the way that I think. And every time that I see him and I get to talk to him, I learn so much more, not only about myself, but I learn more about the business that I am in. And with his level of experience all the way from K-12 space into the ed tech space, I am really excited for him to share his knowledge his viewpoints, his perspective on what we can do as far as equipping, engaging, and elevating our teachers to engage, equip, and elevate our students for the future of learning. So I would love to welcome Kevin Doherty to the show. Kevin, how are you doing this morning? I am well. Happy 4th. That was a wonderful greeting. And um, I can't believe we're here right now, Alfonso, given four and a half years ago or so when we first met. So it's very exciting to see how things have have progressed in our friendship. So glad to be here. Exactly. And it has been quite a while, but it's always been great running into you, whether it's at local conferences or at state conferences or even just on Facebook connecting and so on. It has always been wonderful. And as always, I want to thank you too, as well for your support in the work that I am doing as well, you know, on social media and all that great stuff. So thank you so much. I want to give a big shout out to Team Unicorn, Amanda Macias, who's joining us on YouTube. So Amanda, make sure you share this out, share it with everybody else. That way they can go ahead and join us live. So Kevin, uh, again, four and a half years, I want to just give a little, uh, you know, uh, intro, a separate intro, I guess, or a little story before we hop in and hear that origin story, because I'm always curious to hear how our guests either went or their conventional or maybe unconventional road in education. But four and a half years ago, you visited our campus and you definitely left a mark with the way that you present EdTech. I mean, you definitely have an eye and the experience that you've had from K-12 space into the EdTech space. I will never forget. And I remember one day I reached out to you and I emailed you. It's like, hey, what was what, what were those initials the last time? You know, last year's new thing, this year's new thing and so on. That 
has always stuck with me. So we'll make sure and we'll share that with our guests because I know that we have a lot of EdTech leaders that watch this show and I am always looking for them and for all of us to sharpen our EdTech skills. But before we get into that, Kevin, if you can tell us a little bit about your origin story and how you traveled your road through education. Absolutely. So I, um, I'm the oldest of six children. So I grew up in a large family. And when you're the oldest of six kids, you have a lot of responsibility taking care of your younger siblings. I babysat the kid next door who's, um, you know, was raised by his mom. And so I had a lot of time. I worked at the day camp uh, in the summers, every summer when I was in college and high school. So it's pretty natural for me to become an educator. And I went to the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. And while there, you had to pick one of three pathways in education. You could either get into interdisciplinary education, bilingual education, or multicultural education. And I chose the multicultural path. And I learned so much from it, but I, I'll be honest, my reasons were not quite as deep as they became through the years. Um, I knew that I would get to teach overseas to my student teaching. And knowing that I would be a teacher and probably not make even the money the teachers are making now, still not enough, but a lot less than that, then I would get to go to Europe and uh, live in London and do my student teaching and travel around with the URL pass, use a little bit of my French that I studied for six years and so forth. So um, it was very natural for me. What I didn't know is what, when I got out of college, there would be no teaching jobs in the Northeast. Therefore, um, I went to a job fair in Boston and I was offered three jobs, uh, ESL teacher in El Paso, a teacher, elementary teacher in Houston, elementary teacher in Dallas. I chose Dallas because it had the TV show. So, uh, <laughs> so I studied multicultural education and I uh, moved to Dallas and I taught in South Oak Cliff and uh, actually met my wife there. And um, we taught in a school that was uh, 99 plus percent African-American, just the most amazing experience I could have had as a, a first year teacher. So that's my origin story. And, uh, it just kind of goes from there, but I loved every moment that I spent in the classroom and as an administrator. Perfect. And so what I love is that you, I mean, that experience that you had, I mean, just coming out of college and being able to go to Europe and see again what you studied here in the U.S. and then go to Europe and do some student teaching. Can you tell us just right off the bat, you know, what were some of the cultural differences in the education system that you found maybe? And, you know, to even ask, were there a couple of things that they did better than we did here? And maybe just compare and contrast just slightly. We don't have to go too much into detail. Yeah, I actually taught at the primary school in London, and uh, I was part of the uh, London uh, school district, uh, part of the UK system. And actually the classroom in which I taught was students who were at ages six through nine, non-graded. So they weren't an actual grade. So it was very seamless the way they transitioned. There was no set curriculum. There was individualized curriculum. It was amazing to see how the teacher just sort of took each child where they were and then continued to move each child forward. And then when a student was determined ready to move to the next level, the middle level of education, they were called a leva. 
and Aliva meant that you had one year left, that you were developmentally ready to move on to the next level. And that may be at different ages, depending on the student, their readiness and their skill level. Wow. That is very interesting. So this room for six to nine year olds, you said. Yes. Open curriculum. So the teacher really had to know those students, really knew how to personalize, uh, you know, the curriculum for them. And how big was the room? I mean, how many students did they have? There were about 20, 22 students in the room. So it was a, a okay. size classroom. Wow. That is very interesting. So that to me is just wonderful because it kind of reminds me a little bit about the way that I did things, but of course, not knowing what personalized learning was at the time, but right. coming in from that marketing experience and knowing that I have, you know, 27 customers that I have to sell something to, and then, you know, when they're buying, you know, when they're not buying, and then you make those adjustments to see how you can get that sale. So I could just imagine the teacher also personalizing that and then making the choice of saying, Hey, you know what, you're ready to rock on and go on to that next grade level. So. I find that very interesting. Now, uh, so how long were you over there in London doing your student teaching? It's, it was about, it was 12 weeks. It was a pretty abbreviated okay. student teaching. But what they knew at the university that I didn't know, I thought it would be longer. Normally it's about 16 to 20 weeks. But what, what they realized was that we would be traveling while we were there. And while I could have spent a few more weeks in a classroom and maybe honed my skills a little bit further. The skills that I learned by traveling throughout Europe for 30 days, meeting people from various countries, various languages, various cultures and traditions, that was invaluable for me, especially as a student of multicultural education. So in their wisdom, they, they knew that we, we weren't sure just how long we would be student teaching when we got over there. We got a week off in the middle to do some traveling as well. But one very uh, interesting point was I was talking to my cooperating teacher one day and I said, well, I'm from, you know, the Boston area. I grew up between Lexington and Concord. So I could teach the students all about the revolutionary war. And she <laughs> jabbed me in the ribs so hard. And she said, Kevin, we don't call it the revolutionary war. We call it the civil war. And I thought, oh my word, this 21 year old just had this epiphany that everything is based on your unique perspective and point of view. That was a game changer for me from that point forward. That was very, a very powerful moment. I'll never forget it. I think I still have the bruise to show for it, but, um, a very powerful point. You know what? And that is such a wonderful point. And, you know, I never thought about that, that right there, I, I had thought about it, but that right just really cemented that it's like, oh yes. That is very true. So I know for sure you still have that bruise right there in that rib area, but it was one of those memorable bruises that just keeps you going because it allows you to have a different perspective. And especially now that in the work that you're doing in the scope of things, you know, going from, uh, you know, administration school classroom to administrator and then into the ad tech space. I mean, you're dealing with many different cultures. You're dealing with many different uh, just people and coming in with different backgrounds, but that definitely allows you to heighten your senses and just be ready to be able to approach people in the way that they need to be approached. So that is wonderful. All right. So talk to us now. So you went to Europe, then you came back. So just tell us a little bit about, you know, coming into the classroom and then your road into administration. And during that time, were you already kind of starting to see 
you know, the use of technology, you know, integration. What was your experience with that? Sure. So um, I started off teaching fifth and sixth grade math. Um, and there was not a lot of technology in the classroom. Maybe a calculator was the extent of the, um, of the technology in classrooms at the time. I then went and taught uh, third grade. I taught a multi-age third and fourth grade combination. I then taught fifth grade self-contained. Then I focused on gifted and talented. So I've done just a little bit of everything. In my um, earlier years of teaching, the, uh, the computer was just making its uh, way into the schools and uh, not so much the classrooms as in labs. So you would take your students to lab and everybody knows Oregon Trail, uh, at least the people with some grays like I have, they know Oregon Trail. And um, so we would do that. But I, I've got to be honest, I really didn't see technology being used in the way that enhanced student learning. It could enhance motivation. It was fun. It was interesting. But um, what I learned much later, and we'll, we'll talk about that more, but what I learned much later is just that students, of course, take to technology so much faster than most teachers. So over time, I learned more and more, but even back in those early years, how important it was to look to your students to be experts, to be leaders, to be teachers. And so I, I learned that at a very early point, in part out of necessity, because they knew more than I did. So I, I needed to hand over some of that leadership to them to help their peers. And then over time, I learned that, that I, I did that out of necessity, but in the end, it was the right thing to do because building that student leadership with technology, I think is critically important. And it's um, a drum that I've been beating for the past several years. Teachers don't worry that you don't know everything. You don't have to know everything when it comes to technology. You have students in that classroom who will pick that up much faster than you. And giving them that chance to take on that leadership role is something that's highly motivational for that student. Students will learn better from one another and you can truly facilitate. You don't have to be the expert in everything that's going on in your classroom. Yeah, I agree with you on that. You know, I, I started teaching in that sweet spot. Well, I mean, high school, and then I moved to fifth, to fifth and sixth. And really, you know, much like yourself, you know, where you're honing in your skills, that's really where I learned that I don't have to do all the work. And you mentioned it's okay to be vulnerable and not know everything, because I guarantee you, just like you mentioned, there were several students that really helped me uh, learn new things or just pick up new tips because the way they have a different perspective too. Like I came in and taught something, say, okay, guys, open up your Chromebooks and I would teach the way I kind of knew and I had learned it. But then they'd be like, hey, Mr. Mendoza, check this out. I found this way to do it a lot easier. I found this way or this. I was like, that is really cool. So I would learn from them. So by the time my my third class came in, I looked like a much better expert because I already knew because I learned from the first two classes. But, you know, I that to me is the most valuable thing that I learned from my students. And these are fifth and sixth graders that I'm learning from. And that's OK. It didn't make me feel any less of a teacher. It just made me feel part of a community. And that's what you're trying to build. And that's where I loved my classroom and that environment and that experience that you have where you are empowering them. And like you mentioned, sometimes we don't think that our students are capable enough of doing certain tasks just because you put a computer in front of them. And as a teacher, 
we panic because we don't know what to do, but you'd be surprised. We need to give them a little bit more credit and build up their skills because they really do get engaged when they're able to have the opportunity to either teach or create. And so I love that. So that's wonderful. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So now as you're moving on your years, moving on to administration and then, uh, you know, obviously there, there was a transition there going from the K-12 space into the ed tech space. What were some of the reasons that maybe you decided to move on to th that different career or making that transition? Was it something like you're like, hey, you know what? I really want to immerse myself in this world of tech and try to make an impact? Or was it just something, just a natural progression and your curiosity for learning as well? Yeah, for me, it was a, very much a process. So um, I was a principal at the elementary level. Um, both of the campuses where I served as principal, one in the Dallas area, one in the Houston area, were uh, Title I bilingual campuses. Um, and, and there were several things that came out of that that really helped me. But one of the things goes all the way back to when I first started teaching, when I was trained in critical and creative thinking out of Boston University. And the gentleman that led that, Dr. Bob Swartz, was one of the international leaders and still is to this day in the critical thinking movement. And he introduced me to Art Costa, uh, author of Habits of the Mind. And so that really, and as an early teacher, the whole idea of building critical thinking skills was so incredibly important to me. The second only to that was building literacy skills, strong literacy skills. If I could build strong thinkers and students that had strong literacy skills, I would have very successful students. And I, I taught math in an integrated way. So I kind of tied it in to all of that. But those were two key areas of focus. So fast forward to me being a principal in the Dallas area and going to a big professional development conference and meeting some folks from a company that focused specifically on uh, a visual language, a visual framework for teaching thinking skills. So I was not looking for a job uh, to get out of being an educator full-time but it found me and I was so impressed with what it was, uh, thinking maps. And so I just latched onto it because it was so interesting. The creator of it actually, and Art Costa, who I was introduced to many years ago, was the chair of his doctoral dissertation panel when, uh, he was developing thinking maps. That was Dr. David Hirely. And so I, um, I stepped out, I took a leap of faith and I stepped into the business side of things to work with educators throughout Texas and later throughout the nation. And one thing that happened along the way is we brought in a tech, uh, component to build, um, the maps, uh, online so that you could go on and create a circle map, a bubble map, whatever, because other than that, up to that point, everything was paper and pencil. So we wanted to make that leap as an organization to, um, to more of an electronic or technical side of doing what we had been doing in a more conventional way up to that point. And then following that, I was introduced to ZSpace, an AR VR learning platform. And one of the things about that is it's the most fascinating technology for students to be able to virtually manipulate objects and, um, and to do the, the virtual simulations and so forth, very engaging, very, uh, empowering for students. But one of the things that I learned about it, similar to with thinking maps was that 
the technology could only go as far as in many instances, the teachers allowed it to go. Or even better yet, as far as the administrators would allow the teachers to take it with the students and so forth. So building an understanding for the technology and the why behind it, beginning with the why with technology, when you're looking at ed tech, you have to start with the why so that you're using that ed tech in a very purposeful, meaningful, intentional way. And so in, in my last four and a half years of working with uh, the AR VR learning platform ZSpace, that's what I did. I focused on uh, building the why and building capacity and also encouraging the educators to take a step back and allow those students to serve in a leadership role with this state-of-the-art technology. You know, and that's so important. And I'm, I'm with you on that, Kevin, as far as oftentimes administrators and teachers are gatekeepers. And again, it could just be because there's that level of fear, um, that level or just scared to let go, scared to take a risk, scared of failure because they may fail like, oh my gosh. And hey, tech happens. We all know that. I mean, it pre-game, I mean, pre-show, we we're having some difficulties getting connected and so on, but hey, it's okay because, you know, tech happens and we were able to get everything straightened out and all that good stuff. And you're just taking that risk, but it's okay, you know. But one of the things that I love that you mentioned, again, and, and this is probably the, the third time you say it, is being able to allow students to create, to empower, and build, build leadership skills through that as well. What I've seen and what I've noticed is oftentimes we hop on and we get excited about a platform. And then all of a sudden it's like, uh, you know what, stop using that. Let's go back to paper and pencil because either a director doesn't understand what's happening. They are not visionaries. They don't see what the future of learning can do. They don't see how these skills can tie into curriculum. They don't see how these skills would be valuable to the student as they go on from classroom to classroom, uh, you know, because you're building that critical thinking skills through those components and like you mentioned the, the platform that you mentioned you know using ar vr is something that allows the student to vis see visual representations and i've used your platform i've seen what it can do and for me i get excited about it because of the the visuals and the way that you're able to learn much more for a student i mean uh kim kim murphy who said one day we were talking, we had an AR VR chat and we were talking about merge cubes. She said, look, you know, the, the technology, you don't have to worry about the wow factor. It's going to take care of itself. So you don't have to wow people with it. Just get them on, get them on board, get them using it, you know, do the learning and just take it from there. And oftentimes, you know, one of the things that I've seen and I've noticed is that many teachers, they just, don't want to go into that and take the risk. They just stick to, I don't want to say script because it's not scripted, but I mean, the curriculum pretty much tells you what to do each and every day and, and that's it. And you've got principles too that it's like, hey, we're going to do a district initiative. No, 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 don't do any of that. Stick to what you're doing because we need to pump up those numbers. We need to pump up the scores and you're just really creating test taking machines. And that's really what's happening. And that's really a sad thing about it, where this with technology, you're building an enhanced learning experience. Yes. And, it's, and like Dr. Messina Morris, who is on here as well, she's working in the, in the uh, what is it, uh, higher ed space. Yes. 
And she said, you know, we're creating memorable learning experiences. So, for example, I can go to school and learn all 50 states, but why do I need to memorize them when I can just pull up Google? But a learning experience, such as what uh, something like the Z-Space can offer or what Victory XR can offer, where the student is inside creating, engaging, that's something that works not only for that class, but it'll work for any other class as far as the skills that you're gaining. So, Kevin, what do you see are some of the biggest barriers? I know we talked a little bit about those barriers, but how about yourself in the years that you have been out on the road and you've been going to tech conferences and so on? What are some of the biggest barriers or other barriers that you see that keep teachers from engaging, empowering, and elevating the learning in the classroom? So uh, one thought that I have, I'd like to give a, a lot of credit to Dr. Ray McNulty. Um, he works with Bill Daggett. You're probably more familiar with Bill Daggett, the educational futurist. Uh, but Ray McNulty is his uh, partner, if you will, in, in this uh, movement to, to move us outside the box, to move us beyond our comfort level and so forth in the field of education. But one, of the, one day when I saw him at one of these conferences that we're referencing, he came up and he um, called Kev. He kept, don't you think we should call teachers learning engineers? I said, talk to me about that. He said, well, well, really, isn't that what teachers do? They engineer the learning of the learners that they serve. And when he shared that with me, right around the time that I met you, it just really resonated with me because I thought if we look at our learners as um, individuals whose learning we are engineering, kind of back to your point as coming out of marketing and your 27 students and kind of marketing to each of those 27 uh, individuals in their own unique way. That's what I see a learning engineer doing. And I, I think the other piece of it is the idea that, um, that we have more to learn from the students that we serve than they have to learn from us. If we as educators would adopt that mindset, so whether it's working with ed tech and allowing the students to take that leadership role and stepping back and being vulnerable and letting them teach us because it's been so much more part of their world since they came uh, into this world, than it was for um, many teachers, why not take advantage of that? And that be part of the learning engineer um, experience. So I, I think the other piece of this too that I've noticed with ed tech is a lot of times people want to see ed tech solving a problem. So I have this problem and I've got this technical solution and I'm gonna put it in place and I'm, it's kind of plug and play, and that's going to solve the problem. That's not what technology was truly designed to do. It can do that. But is that really going to move the needle for teaching and learning? And we know the answer is no. So what, what we know is, yes, fill in the blanks, plug in the, um, you know, the, the, the gaps or whatever it is you have. But then what else can this technology do? And, and work with the learners with whom you're working to help them come up with, hey, would it be great if we could do this with this technology? Absolutely. How, how might you do that? And have them engage in that critical thinking, that problem solving, 
get excited. They'll truly be engaged. So I, I think it's a, um, you know, one of the pitfalls of ed tech is if we get too compliant, too um, not compliant, but uh, well, compliance as well, but complacent and just have it be something that, that kind of does something for us, that automates a process for us. That's not what ed tech I think was really about from the beginning. So how can we as the educators, the engineers of student learning, look at the ed tech as a way to build the critical thinking and problem solving skills of the learners that we serve. Ooh, I love that, Kevin. Thank you so much. And I want to give a shout out to, again, Amanda, who's joining us here. I love this comment. It says, show them the toolkit, step aside and let them thrive. And oftentimes, yes. And then we've got Angie Montoya, Angelica Montoya, who's joining us is we're moving from learning with technology to learning through technology. So thank you so much for joining us live. And uh, yeah, Kevin, like I, I agree with what you were saying. You know, oftentimes it's just, what can this do for me? And and I was talking about this with uh, David Frangioza last Thursday, how, you know, he talked about going greatless, but it's not what you think it is. There is some structure to that. So make sure you check out that episode. But I was telling him, you know, oftentimes as a teacher, you know, I would get papers or exit tickets and it's like, okay, here we go. Like, here's the stack in the corner. I'm going to get to that later. And then it's like, okay, I got to take the kids to specials, but then I have a meeting or it's a great grade level meeting or it's a 504, or it's an IEP. So then the next class, the stack is there. It's like, okay, go grab a quick lunch. Now I've got a parent conference and then the third class and that stack is there. And then that stack becomes very ominous. So then it's like, hey, you know what? Why don't I just digitize all of this and everything is digital? It's like, okay. But then I was thinking about this, you know, then I was like, oh no, now I've got a digital stack and that still just becomes as ominous because all I did was just substitute the paper for the digital paper. But still, I mean, it's still ominous because it's like, oh, I got to go back and grade all of this. Um, check, 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 completion, completion. And then that's it. So like you're saying, we're trying to find tech to solve a problem. So I got rid of the paper, but yep. now it's a digital stack and it's still ominous, even though now I can grade it on my phone. And instead of pulling, you know, a backpack full of papers, well, it's on my phone, but like, I don't want to be doing that on the weekend or anything, you know? And so I love what you're saying, you know, just putting the technology in the students' hands and allowing them to create. And then that's when the, I flipped the script on them and said, okay, guys, here is what we're learning. And this is, and I would, we go over the lesson together. Now, this is what your project will entail. So they have to do the research. They're working in groups or individually. They get on a Chromebook and you can either create a PowerPoint presentation. You can create a video of yourself, you know, talking head video. You can go ahead and either talk over or, you know, dub your presentation or give me some sort of graphic. And what I saw was that when you give students that toolkit, like Amanda said, I was just like, wow, the, the, the types of learning artifacts that I got from students that normally would not even participate in class because they were, you know, just learning the language and they didn't feel comfortable. But man, they would speak loudly through their presentations because you allow them to express themselves and express their learning. And on top of that, you have that learning artifact still, evidence of learning. You had other learners that were, you know, great at presentational speaking. Others were just amazing graphic designers and talents that you didn't even know they had unless I let them just, here's the toolkit, 
and go for it. And that's something that is so, so powerful. But again, then you see it's like, oh, well, hey, curriculum, you got to be here at this time. But there's critical thinking skills are what allow you also to be successful in these tests as well. Well, I want to uh, piggyback on that, Alfonso, because um, this is a little bit pre-tech, uh, but I had a student in my classroom whose head was on his desk every day. He uh, attended uh, resource for special education. So I went to the teacher in that classroom and I said, is this young man doing the same thing in your classroom? Yes. Heads on his desk. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Come on. Are you going to be with us? We got to move forward. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Until one day, uh, um, we were doing a uh, something in our language arts curriculum. It was a parody of Little Red Riding Hood. And I was assigning the rules. And this young man said, um, I want to be the grandmother. And I said, no, I, I've got to kind of evenly distribute the parts. And I've got some girls over here that might want to, I want to be the grandmother. No, I want. And so we went back and forth. And finally, I said, fine, you can be the grandmother. Go. I had a stage in my classroom. It's about three feet above the, the regular floor. So the students would get up there and they'd transform just by being a few inches above the ground. And um, this young man had the gestures, facial expressions, the voice, the timing of a professional comedian. Never would have known. And I not like finally said, uncle, fine, you can do it. And so he went up there and was amazing. And um, the students wrote plays and so forth. At that time, we were just doing simple word processing where we were writing the scripts and um, that sort of thing. And so uh, it performed it. The next year, however, um, this young man was uh, killed tragically. Um, mom was coming home from a family event. Uh, he was, um, she fell asleep at the wheel, hit a tree, and um, he was thrown from the vehicle and died. I believe instantly, um, that really hit me hard. Now it was the next year after I had it in my classroom, but I, I thought about that when I was going through my master's work and, uh, listening to the words of John Dewey, that school is not just preparation for life. School is life. So I thought, what if I didn't let him be the grandmother? What if I was too stubborn and just said, no, this is how we're going to do it. And you're going to comply with my, you know, um, distribution of these roles and so forth. And so when I heard those words, school is not just preparation for life. School is life. It made me think, what are we getting students ready for? Are we getting them ready for middle school, high school, college, trade school? military, what are we getting them ready for? Because the reality is we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And I don't say that to say, don't prepare for tomorrow and don't get students to where they need to be. However, we should be experiencing joy in every day. And so when we're looking at ed tech, I would say, how is ed tech bringing greater joy to the learners that I serve every day and to the educators? that are serving these learners. That is very powerful. That is very powerful, Kevin. I'm just taking it all in and dissecting it. Amanda too, as well. I mean, she quoted you there on YouTube as well. And uh, so thank you so much for 
just everything that you're sharing and the passion that comes from you, because again, going back, you know, it's no coincidence. I mean, the way that you are, the way that you think it's because of that experience and everything led you down this road that you didn't even know that maybe you were going to be needing those skills. And as you saw, you, you, you build the, upon those skills and now you're here sharing this knowledge of years and years that you have spoken to so many districts, so many administrators, so many teachers, and even your, your own experience. But this is just very powerful that you're sharing and as far as uh, leadership is concerned. So I don't know, man, maybe you can write a book on leadership or, you know, teaching. That might be a nice little project to do. But uh, thank you so much for all those shares, Kevin. <laughs> well, I wanted to piggyback one more thing on that. And that is um, what happened to me personally. So two years ago, I went in for a routine heart stent procedure. The uh, cardiologist um, in the process severed an artery and I coded for 48 minutes. So when you code for that long, it, kidney failure, lungs filled with fluid, they put a device in my heart uh, while they were still doing CPR. It ended up, I believe that's what may have caused sepsis. So I had sepsis. I was in a coma for 18 days uh, on a respirator. And so went through a lot of things. And then I had to have open heart surgery because the device they put in my heart ended up tearing up my mitral valve. Spent 18 more days in ICU and then um, a couple of months of rehab. But I share that because when you've been through a life to death experience, it changes even further. So your point about writing a book or, you know, sharing these thoughts and ideas, I'd been given a second chance. Two years ago in March, by all that's right and holy, I should not be here. It was a miracle from God and it can't be explained other, any other way. And the people in the room that uh, were the medical staff called it such. They said, we don't code people for 48 minutes. That was a miracle from God that you're even here and that you have the cognitive capability to be able to have these uh, high-level critical conversations uh, given that you went through CPR for 48 minutes. So I've been blessed, but, um, but I feel an, um, that I have to share. It's not even that I want to share. I feel a responsibility to share. Yeah, and I love that, you know, the, the sharing and the passion because I knew you prior to this and then I had no idea this is hap that happened when I ran into you because you you were just same old Kevin you know like you know personality you've always been the same and very genuine so I and I'm I'm speaking truth here so anybody who's ever met Kevin and knows him personally and is seeing him live I mean he is the same you're hearing him live is the same way he is in person and just uh, I'm just so thankful that everything turned out well and like you said it's by the grace of God that you are here and sharing your story today, but also sharing your experiences because that's what I love about this show. You know, it, it's hearing people's stories, hearing people's experiences because they are so valuable to anybody that is out there right now currently thinking of what can I do? Am I the only one that thinks this way? Am I going against the grain? Um, you know, is this correct? Is this not correct? You know, through shows like this and many other shows that are out there, not just this one, you know, being able to hear somebody going through the same thing that you're going through or seeing things from a different perspective is something that is valuable that we can add to our practice as many of us want to move that needle forward. But sometimes we find that resistance 
And you just kind of have to find a way about it, you know, to continue to move the work forward. So thank you so much, Kevin. I really appreciate your shares, everything that you brought to the table today. And like I said, you know, for me, this was just an amazing, you know, 40 minutes of PD for myself and for all our audience members that are here, who's Sherry, who's joining us uh, from LinkedIn. We've got Principal Josh Tovar also joining us a uh, little late because I, I don't know if he's still at work or not. We've got Amanda and Angie. So thank you so much, Kevin. And uh, but before we go, it's always my favorite segment, too, as well. The last three questions that I love to ask my guests. So, Kevin, hopefully you are ready. So right. quest question number one, through your experience that you've had, you know, K-12, getting into the ad tech space and everything that you've seen, what would you say in the current state of education is your current edu kryptonite? Mm. Oh. I think my edu kryptonite would be status quo. Um, and I know it's trite to say that because we say, you know, you do the same thing the same way, you're going to get the same results and so forth. But as much as we know that's true, I still see a lot of engagement in status quo, in following the process and procedures and not stepping outside the box and taking those thoughtful risks that are so necessary, not only for the learners, but for us as educators. So, um, so just fighting the status quo. When my daughter was uh, teaching, uh, she's a first grade teacher and COVID hit and she's very tech savvy. And she was doing a lot of the things online and so forth, but she had to follow a certain script and she didn't want to step outside the script. And I said, Mackenzie, if you don't stop and take the time to build relationship with your students, it doesn't matter how tightly you stick to that script. They're not going to learn at the level that they need to learn. So you might have to be a risk taker, step outside of that, you know, timeline and take that time to build relationship. It's critically important. I heard you talk about that in a previous episode as well. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. That's a really, really great answer, Kevin. It's like, it got everybody thinking. I know Amanda here definitely, she definitely put the little fire emoji here, you know, status quo. All right. Question number two, Kevin, if you can have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Mm -hmm. um, I think I'd just write the word joy. I just put it out there, just joy. Find things that get you excited as an educator, get students excited uh, about learning. And, and the only way you're going to find that out as an administrator is you've got to get to know your teachers. The only way you're going to be able to do that as a teacher is to get to know your students. And once I find what are those areas of interest and passion, I want to do everything I can to fan those flames for my teachers, for my teammates, uh, and as in the classroom for my students. Fan that joy. That's how school will be life. Because if we're just focusing on preparing day in, day out for what we don't even know may come, and don't stop and just take the time to experience joy. So I know, again, that's kind of pie in the sky, but I, I, I like to keep it simple, joy. Right. Love it. Love it. Simple, but very powerful. Thank you, Kevin. And the last question. So, Kevin, let's say 
not only you already have your book, I know I'm already telling you like you're doing a book, but now you've got the Kevin Doherty Leadership Podcast. All right, let's say that this was your show this morning and I am your guest. What would be one question you'd like to ask me? Um, a, a question I'd like to ask you is, how do you see us using technology to move the needle from a teacher-centric mode of teaching to more of a learner-centric mode of teaching? Uh, you know, for me, myself and my practice, really what I did is just kind of like you were mentioning, it, it there to me, there isn't a really a magic formula. It's just really allowing the students to just engage, having them create that when I was in the classroom, my, my teaching went from that teacher centric stage on the stage, me up front only, everybody pay attention, everybody in rows. And, you know, this is the way that we're going to keep it to more of like, Hey, here's a device, go to town. All right, here we go. We're going to do the lesson for 15 minutes. This is what we're covering, but this is what you're going to research. This is what you're going to do. And then these are the ways that you have the option to submit your assignment. Was it more work for me? Not really. It was a lot of fun, actually, because you had a lot of students that were using different types of education platforms to produce a learning artifact. And I was learning from that. And that is what helped me really hone in my skills and really fall into this ed tech space and in love with this ed tech space because I can see what the technology can do. So number one, it's really as a teacher, allow yourself to be vulnerable. Number one, it's okay to not know all the answers. It's okay to be corrected by a student and say, uh, sir, um, this isn't the way that it, it works. Oh, okay, cool. No worries. Sorry about that. And go ahead and just give them the lead and say, hey, you know what? How about you uh, walk us through the steps? And then you empower them. You know, they build those leadership skills. They feel they, they get that confidence. And then you start building that community and you tap into each of their talents. Like you said, you know, the story with the gentleman, you know, you don't know what they're able to bring because we don't give them the chance to show it. So just take a risk and again, go against the status quo. It's okay. Go against the grain because I guarantee you that what you're going to show them is going to be a, leave an impact that is going to not only help them learn, but it's going to help them build those transferable skills as they go from grade level to grade level or class to class. And you're going to bring that joy. And again, I'm just speaking from my experience because I loved that time in the classroom. And it's something that it, it's hard to kind of build that environment with teachers because teachers are like, ah, this is just something else on my plate. But really, when they start seeing like, wow, you know, th this this can be done. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a lifesaver. You know, you you're really just facilitating and like you said, you're that learning engineer, you know, and engineering the learning for your students. So I just love that. But yeah, I just see that just be able to take risks, take risks. And it's okay that if you fail, tech happens, just get clicky with it and yep. you're good. <laughs> All right, Kevin. Well, that's a great question. Thank you so much. And Kevin, I really appreciate you. I know that this was kind of, there was a little scheduling mix up and so on and so forth, but I'm thankful that everything worked out today as you were just a wonderful guest. And I'm just very honored that you found time to be here to share your story and 
share all the knowledge and it was just a great engaging experience. And thank you also to all our guests here. We had Amanda, we had Principal Josh Tovar, we had, um, who else? We had Angie also from Facebook who was joining us and we had Sherry also. Thank you, Sherry, for joining us on LinkedIn as well. Appreciate you all. And as always, my friends, thank you so much for all of your wonderful support. Please make sure that you visit our website at myedtech.life, myedtech.life, and check out this and all our previous episodes as you will find some amazing guests and you'll definitely be learning a lot from their perspectives and what they bring in as far as their level of expertise. So make sure that you listen to all our previous episodes as well. Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Share out these videos. If you'd like, follow us on all socials at My Tech Life. And also, ladies and gentlemen, please make sure you go visit our merch store. Check out our nice little merch. We've got some caps, we've got some shirts and so on. So this is a great way to help support our show. As always, you know, we always try to bring you the best each and every week. And it's all because of you. And it's all because of the learning that we can all do together. As you know, our mission, our vision, and our passion is to connect educators and creators one show at a time. So thank you, my friends. I appreciate you all. And Kevin, uh, you know, is there, I know that you're kind of in the middle of changing your socials right now, but let's say that somebody would love to connect with you. What would be the best way that they would be able to connect with you? Well, I, I've opened a new Gmail account. It's just thinking 992 at gmail.com. But I oddly, speaking of EdTech, I just started this weekend uh, a new Facebook group called Just Thinking. And within a matter of 24 hours, I had 45 members of that, uh, of that group. So, and what I really want is to have a group where teachers can share their thoughts with one another. So it's made for educators to share um, thoughts and ideas with one another, just to build some synergy. So it's a Facebook group, uh, just thinking dot, dot, dot. So perfect. Excellent. And we'll make sure we put all those links there in the show notes, guys. So thank you guys. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate y'all. And my friends, don't forget, as always, like the sign says right here, don't forget, stay techie.